Let us pray. Send forth thy spirit, O Lord, and renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful people, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Amen. Please be seated. I would like to direct your attention to page 23, the appendix of today's bulletin. There is a painting that you might recognize, and I'd like you to sit for a second and see if you can determine or discern any meaning in it. The painting is called Convergence, and it was painted by Jackson Pollock in about 1952. Can you discern any meaning in it? Looks like a lot of drippings from a paint can, doesn't it? Because that's what it is. Jackson Pollock is, of course, considered an important artist in the abstract expressionist tradition. He's especially known for the technique on display in paintings like Convergence, that drip technique where he would splash paint over the surface of the canvas, often employing a kind of frenetic dancing as he worked. And by the way, if you're ever looking for a second job, please note that, uh, that one of his paintings, number 17A, sold in 2016 for the whopping cost of $200 million. So if you would like to drip some paint on a canvas, maybe you can do that as well. And remember to tie 10%. <laughs> the painting in our bulletin, I mean, really, if you sit and, and think about it for long enough, if you really... I've sat with it this week quite a bit, actually. Uh, And the only word I can really use to describe the painting is chaos. It's characteristic of most Pollock paintings. Lines and colors chaotically dripped onto the canvas in a seemingly random fashion. Of course, Pollock did have to make the decision as to what colors he would use. And he did have to decide to use the drip painting technique. But beyond that, the painting is almost entirely accidental and contingent. In other words, Pollock could have just spun the paint can at a slightly different angle using a slightly different rotation, and you would have a totally different and random painting. And it's often said, you know, that art imitates life and life imitates art. And Pollock himself, of course, exemplified this. If you know anything about the painter, he lived a very chaotic life of which his art is either a reflection of or perhaps a cause of or maybe both. Still, I don't actually dislike this painting for all of the bad things I'm saying about it. Um, And not because I think it's a valuable work of art. I don't. Um, Still, I I think that it provides, it it acts as a valuable artifact that distills the chaos that most of us experience in our souls, and it gives us kind of a visual representation of that. So why are we looking at this? I think because viewing the chaos of our current human condition, which Convergence so clearly depicts, helps us better understand the Feast of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, at least by way of negatives. Pentecost plays over and over and over again in our own lives as the Holy Spirit works in us, and one of the primary jobs that he has in our life is to order our chaos so that we become reflections of divine beauty. In the very opening chapter of scriptures, we're told that the Spirit hovered over the face of the primordial waters. And in the Hebrew mind, the waters were symbols of chaos. They were signs of uncreation. Like the story of Noah, the waters are sent as judgment to literally undo what God had done. The psalmist proclaims the channels of waters were seen and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters." The story of Genesis 1 
is a story about God ordering the chaos as he forms and shapes domains, which he then fills with appropriate life. Over the first three days, he forms the domains of light, firmament, and land. And the second three days, he makes heavenly bodies, birds, and fish, and then land animals, ultimately culminating in the creation of humans created in his image and likeness. The point of the poem is that God is not a God of chaos, but of order. Everything existed in perfect harmony at his original creation. And why does this matter? Because today we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the church. Happy birthday to us. Another instance of the Holy Spirit coming to order chaos. Because we have to go all the way back to Genesis again, Genesis chapter 11, to understand what the Holy Spirit's doing on the day of Pentecost. In Genesis chapter 11, we're told a story about humans getting together to build a temple for the worship of heavenly bodies. How does God respond to this rebellion? He comes down and he confuses their language, scattering the people over the face of the earth, which is the same phrase used when he sends the flood, he scatters the water over the face of the earth. So it's a sign of judgment and a reminder for us that chaos is both the cause and the result of sin. Disorder causes sin because disorder always reproduces disorder. Right? It's why cycles of violence in families can be such tragedies, because once that chaos begins, it perpetuates often to subsequent generations. But also, chaos is the result of sin because all sin stems from pride. The pride that says that a creature can act as the creator, that we can go higher than we should, that we can disobey God's commands. The good news for us is that the Feast of Pentecost marks the undoing of that disorder, the undoing of chaos. Just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters while God formed and filled the world, so he hovers over his church, bringing disparate people together into one body. And so he hovers over each individual Christian, bringing order out of the disorder in our souls. The Holy Spirit enables the church to obey the commands of God and thereby produce order. Our praise of God should not only be with our lips, but in our lives. In today's gospel reading, Jesus reminds us, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And this statement is a prelude to the promise that he will send the Holy Ghost, who he calls the Comforter. What's true of the church as a whole is true of the Christian in particular. The Holy Spirit hovers over our lives And you might wonder, how do we assess progress? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is actually acting in my life? The answer is in our spiritual healing, which we can detect in our lives through moral progress, through sinning less, through embracing the good, the acquisition of virtue. We can trust that the Holy Spirit orders the chaos of our soul so that all that disintegration which we experience because of sin, our lack of self-knowledge, Our broken relationships with others, the unfittingness of our behaviors is going to be cured through the work of the Holy Ghost if we participate with him and strive for holiness. Now, I think one of the pitfalls, at least in in sort of modern American Christianity, is that we're often sort of implicitly taught to assume that the Holy Spirit is going to knock us off our horse and give us some kind of dramatic sign to help us do this, like St. Paul on the road to Damascus. 
As a story, I remember one, Sunday, one summer I, I was at Liberty and I was working for the Office of Student Housing. It was the worst summer job I've ever had. I worked on a team that would go from dorm to dorm and move furniture around. We'd move all the three-drawer dressers from this dorm and transport them over to this dorm and move all the two-drawer dressers from that dorm and move them over to this dorm. Sometimes I think they were just coming up with work for us to do for no reason. One of the employees in the office was a Pentecostal woman, and, and at lunch one day, we're all sitting around, and we're talking about church, and someone says, Wes, don't you go to an Anglican church? And this woman kind of stops everything and looks at me like I have 10 heads, and she goes, Anglican, do you even believe in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> and I believe the point of her question was that since we use a liturgy, since we don't typically engage in ecstatic worship, Do we actually believe that the Holy Spirit is active or are we suppressing and ignoring him? And of course, I told her, well, the Holy Spirit creates a miracle on the altar every single Sunday. But it's kind of a uniquely modern American experience that the only or the primary sign of the Holy Ghost would be a kind of ecstasy. Actually, I take that back. It seemed like the expectation of the Corinthian church that this would be the case too, which is why Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians to tell them to knock it off. Of course, there are times when the Holy Spirit reveals himself to us so clearly that it does knock us off our horse, that it does leave us in awe. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. We should absolutely treasure those moments and definitely respond because things only get worse if you don't. He might knock knock us off our horse. But what we find, especially for those of us who have been Christians for a significant portion of our lives, is that the Holy Spirit often works through the mundane, through the ordinary, through the quotidian. For us Christians, we should see all of life as transfigured, as possibility for the Holy Spirit to work. So yes, maybe he knocks you off the horse, but maybe the Holy Spirit is working in you at your nine-to-five job. Maybe he's working in you when you're sitting around the dinner table with your family. Maybe he's even working in you while you sit in traffic on the beltway. Maybe especially working in you when you sit in traffic on the beltway. (laughs) And the beauty of this too then means that the Holy Spirit can use us to minister in those same exact mundane circumstances which are growing us in holiness. Some of you might know I like to go during the week. I like to sit places while I work, like before the office opens and after the office opens. And I wear my collar and it's a really, I find it's been an excellent opportunity to meet people. And you never plan it. You know, the Holy Spirit sends them and you're in the same place at the same time and they might come talk to you. Sometimes you get to meet people who who you wouldn't otherwise get a chance to meet. One place I go in the mornings before the church is open is the coffee shop uh, down the road here in Crownsville. I call it the parish coffee shop because, you know, in England, a parish isn't just a church or the people. It's the geographical location. So that's the parish coffee shop. That's not just any coffee shop. That's our coffee shop. And we're in charge of ministering there. And there's a Presbyterian pastor who comes into the parish coffee shop on his way. He usually picks up coffee on his way to his church. And he came over to me one day, this was probably seven, eight in the morning. He comes over to me one day and he goes, so do you actually work in a parish or is this your parish? And I quoted John Wesley to him and I said, well, the world is my parish actually. But the point is I don't sit in the, I don't view the coffee shop as a place to just sit and drink a latte. It's a place where I pray for the Holy Spirit to bring encounters that he wants me to have. And some days That means I talk to really interesting people, people who are hurting, people who need help. Um, But other days, it means I don't talk to really anyone. 
The point, I think, in telling you this is that I really do believe that we should be open to the Spirit wherever we are and in whatever context we inhabit. Maybe, maybe God will call you to be a missionary somewhere foreign and, or to do something really big and great like a, like a Billy Graham revival uh, type event. Or maybe he's calling you to live a life of faithfulness at your nine-to-five job, at the family dinner table, while you sit in traffic. The point is that he's ordering you to his plan, and the question is, will we listen to him and will we obey? Descend upon us, O mighty spirit, that inspired and encouraged by thee, we may faithfully fulfill the duties of our lives and vocations, that we may carry our crosses with patience and courage, and accomplish more nearly thy perfect will. Make us day by day more holy, and give to us that heavenly peace which the world cannot give. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.